0: Are you sick of the fatigue and fog, fed up with unpredictable flares, hangry from the super restrictive diets? Hello and welcome to Success with Sjogren's, a podcast empowering naturally minded and scientifically grounded women looking to reduce or even eliminate their Sjogren's symptoms. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Kara Wada, a fellow Sjogren's Spoonie triple board certified allergy immunology and lifestyle medicine physician, coach, medical educator, and mom. As a reminder, although I am a physician, I'm not your physician, and this podcast is for educational purposes only. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us with this epi- on this episode of the Success with Sjogren's podcast. I am super duper excited to welcome Dr. Jillian Rigert, who is not only a physician, but also a dentist. She is an oral health expert. And we're gonna talk about all things um, mouth and health related to Sjogren's today. Um, I'm gonna let her introduce herself and share a little bit more, and we're just gonna jump right in.
1: Thank you, and thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm so excited to be uh, part of this wonderful work that you're creating uh, and resource for Chauvin's patients. Uh, so, absolutely, my name is Jillian Riggert, and I have formal training in dentistry, uh, medicine, and oral medicine. And not a lot of people know what oral medicine is. So, just kind of in short, uh, we're oral health providers that uh, focus on the combination of medicine and dentistry. And it's the oral manifestations of systemic diseases. So really great opportunity to integrate uh, the medical and dental uh, backgrounds I have.
0: Awesome. So what does a typical day look like for you?
1: It's interesting for oral medicine. You know, when people tell me what kind of career trajectory do oral medicine providers have, I would say it's very diverse. Uh, currently, I am a postdoc research fellow in the Department of Radiation Oncology, Uh, So I do have a focus right now on head and neck cancer research, and specifically reducing side effects from radiation, and we can talk about how that relates to uh, the dry mouth that patients with Sjogren's uh, are experiencing, the kind of the similarities and the differences uh, between those conditions, but also I think learning from each other, I think can be a lot of benefit about how to manage the symptoms of oral dryness.
0: Absolutely. I, I talk a lot. So it's it's been interesting as an allergist. I'm in a, um, a unique situation at Ohio State where I practice in that I am um, hired through the Department of Otolaryngology or ENT, which is actually very rare for like a, an allergist immunologist. Typically, we would be um, in either internal medicine or pediatrics, which is kind of what our original boards are in. But in being in that department, I get to work with the head and neck cancer surgeons and talk with them about um, dryness and oral um, cancer prevention and all those sorts of things. So um, another kind of area of overlap that I, yeah, I realized that we had. So this is kind of a side note, but we we discovered recently that um, Jillian actually was a teammate with my sister in undergrad. They ran cross country together. Yeah. Um, and I'm after, actually wearing I know oh, see that. I'm wearing, I didn't even think about
1: that. I am currently wearing my augustana track and field shout out to Augie grads. but yeah, absolutely you can you know go on with with this wow. crazy relationship that we've discovered
0: about yeah, it. so it's been such a a kind of a small world serendipitous kind of um introduction um that we you know, we're from kind of, the not Chicago part of Illinois and all of this um, and our our paths now have um, have recrossed. Um, So when we talk about um, kind of oral health and Sjogren's, I I know so much of the issues come from dryness, what in particular kind of about the dryness creates kind of those issues? Yeah, it
1: so for patients with oral dryness, I think it's important to mention that it can be caused by a lot of different things. So most commonly, you would just think medications are a huge proponent uh, of oral dryness. And then in contrast to Sjogren's, where that Sjogren's is an autoimmune disease which affects the function of the uh, main salivary glands, which are the you know parotid glands you think of. Um, in comparison where patients that are having medication-related oral dryness may have something that's reversible or not related to the actual function of their salivary glands. And then when you you think about the patients that I uh, am currently researching for, their oral dryness is related to radiation-induced damage to their salivary glands. So similarities between patients with Sjogren's and patients uh, with radiation is that there may be reduced function of their salivary glands that result in overall decreased amount of saliva Um, but having dry mouth uh, that's a symptom that you're experiencing so a patient may actually have adequate saliva and still feel that their mouth is dry because they've had a drop in their baseline amount of saliva versus patients with children's they may have I mean, often have, they come in with dry mouth and they also have reduced saliva. And the important distinction is that saliva is very important for oral, uh, for oral health. It helps to lubricate the mouth, it helps to prevent infection, it helps to uh, cleanse the teeth, and it also helps in the remineralization of teeth. So when you start to lose your saliva, then you're losing all those protective factors uh, for not only your teeth, but the oral tissue. And what you might notice is difficulty in swallowing. Your mouth is so dry, you might get some um, frictional irritation. Uh, When it comes to the teeth, you don't have the properties that help remineralize the teeth and cleanse the teeth. So you might have uh, increased plaque accumulation and increased cavities. And the the saliva that helps with the infections, since it's lower, uh, patients with dryness of their mouth have a change in their oral environment with reduced immune uh, cells. so they often get uh, they're at risk for fungal infections. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's just really important. It becomes more important. So always important, you know, to keep the mouth very clean, but it becomes more important to be meticulous about oral hygiene, um, to really focus on creating environment that would uh, reduce the amount of damage to the teeth and we can talk about how to do that when it comes to considerations in the diet. Um, and then also considerations to oral hygiene products such as fluoride, which would be very important.
0: What um, what sorts of things should Sjogren's patients be you know, conscientious of when they're thinking about diet? Are there certain things they should avoid or certain things they should try to maybe add into their diet? Absolutely.
1: I know you, you and I are both just tremendous advocates of trying to limit the amount of restriction that patients face because There's increased anxiety, you know, with the autoimmune condition, it can cause a lot of problems with uh, anxiety and trying to do things that are preventing the damage. Um, And so from a non-restrictive point of view, um, I'll talk about diet as relates to teeth and just put that as a disclaimer. uh, I am a strong anti-diet advocate. Uh, A person that has had problems with restriction is now promotes trying to keep your diet as comprehensive as possible. However, the things that do damage teeth, if you're drinking anything carbonated, whether it's diet or not, it is acidic. So the acid in the mouth can cause problems with softening of the teeth and erosion. And then if you have any sugar, the sugar can stick to the teeth. And especially if you're not cleansing the teeth with the saliva, um, it starts to feed the bacteria and bacteria eat sugar. And then I like to say they poop out acid. So it creates even more acid damage to the teeth, which is actually what causes problems with dental caries. And then just being more meticulous with the oral hygiene. Um, So if you're eating and you eat frequently, um, then that doesn't really give the opportunity for the uh, oral environment to kind of buffer back up into a place where the teeth are remineralizing. Okay. Um, so if I were to try to say from a teeth only standpoint, like I said, we don't like to restrict, I don't want to create rules that aren't meant to be there, but I was just trying to say, you know, what can we be mindful of? Um, it's trying not to eat all the time throughout the day. So not the grazing, it would be better for the teeth. If we are eating a meal, allowing time for the oral environment to get back to neutral so that the teeth are in uh, a less soft state because there's, uh, it helps neutralize the oral environment. So it's not in an acidic state. Um, does that make sense? I'm trying to explain it uh, in absolutely. a way that's not too much at one time. But, so, it's good so to
0: have some breaks, kind of, if you can. Have some breaks, yeah.
1: And after you eat, um uh, so Most people say, oh, you want to brush right after you eat. That's actually not accurate. You want to wait. So if you had normal saliva, it takes about 30 minutes for for the oral environment to get back to about a neutral state. So after we eat or drink anything, unless it's water, our mouth is going to create some acid to help us digest it. And so after our meal, we want to give it some time to rebalance itself before we brush. Because if we brush you early, that's when the teeth are in that softer state. And again, this is getting pretty like pretty much into the grid of, oh my gosh, I need to do everything I possibly can. Uh, but just to put that out there that you know, if, if you're wow. noticing increased wear of the teeth, it's something to be mindful of. Um, and then if people are snacking throughout the day, that just keeps the oral environment in that acidic state. So it's, it's increasing the risk for uh, damage to the
0: teeth. And I'm guessing that probably also includes me like lingering and sipping my coffee all morning. <laughs> probably not ideal. <laughs> it, well, It depends if that coffee is, has sugar and things in it. That's one thing versus if it's black coffee, that may not be as uh, problematic. Awesome. I do like my coffee black, so that we'll, we'll put that in. Okay. Yeah. So maybe yep. the thin drift is not so great because it still is carbonated, even though it doesn't have the sugar still it, is yep. probably not the best. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's the carbonated or if people are sipping Mountain Dew, you know, I mean, I say Mountain Dew, that's usually one that wears it down, but sodas in general, again, we just distinguish it's even diet sodas, they're acidic or people, I see people with energy drinks. I used to be an energy drink consumer. It's done tremendous damage to my teeth. I think everyone needs to avoid those. Um, And then sipping juices, sipping, um, people don't think about it, but even like Crystal Lights acidic, uh, and Gatorades or sports drinks. Uh, if you're sipping that throughout the day, uh, that, that can create some, uh, teeth wear and some concerns with having your mouth in a sick state. And then of course, if there's sugar or acid, then just increasing problems for your teeth.
0: Um, so and you mentioned, um, kind of segueing that there are some other things we can do in regards to like our oral hygiene, routines that can be really helpful. What would some of those kind of tips and tricks be? Yeah, I would
1: recommend so you over the counter toothpaste uh, has a little bit less concentration than uh, fluoride than if you would get a prescription. So I would recommend getting a prescription toothpaste from your dentist, because um, fluoride increases the hardness of your teeth, it integrates into the uh, enamel structure, and it increases the hardness of the enamel. So that reduces the carries risk, the cavities risk. Um, and there's also options if you were to get fluoride trays and you can get fluoride gel um, and, and have prolonged contact time with the fluoride. And that can help uh, with some of the resistance towards that early uh, decay.
0: So getting, I know my dentist offers, like when I go in for my cleaning, kind of that fluoride treatment. So that would definitely yeah. be something worth kind of taking yeah. advantage of.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I'm a little curious and um, there are some other kind of toothpaste products that are out there in kind of the natural sphere that are fluoride free but have this hydroxy appetite. Any thoughts kind of on that? Or is that kind of something up and coming or to look out for? So
1: hydroxyapatite's normally in tooth structure. And what happens is that the fluoride is a little it creates a little bit more hardness uh, because it will exchange with the hydroxyl group. So that would just be uh, advocating for normal tooth. It's not, I I don't see it as a better benefit than the fluoride. uh, And I would still recommend getting a product with fluoride. Awesome the things that you know it's a great to mention that the different types of uh, there's so many different types of toothpaste out there
0: um Mm -hmm. and
1: of course we mentioned having the prescription fluoride if you're wanting to balance that with the non-prescription because a prescription can be a little bit more costly um and some people once the mouth gets dry might have a little bit more gum irritation and so those really strong minty Uh, toothpaste might cause a little bit of burning. And so if you go towards a more mild flavoring of toothpaste, that might help mitigate uh, and be a little bit more comfortable on the, you know, not causing so much sensitivity on the gums. And I've noticed some people say the, I don't want to give name brands, but things that have too many chemicals or have what we call SLS, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sorting more soft.
1: Yeah. You'll notice, you know, if you're starting to get some irritation and just looking, I like, Keep it simple, you know, keep it as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. The whitening toothpaste can have more abrasive effect. That's how that whitening works. So I'd avoid those if you're trying to reduce damage to the teeth. I would stay away from charcoal toothpaste. That's something I really have a problem with. Um, whether that's my opinion or It'd true. Be or a charcoal frosty.
0: mask just for fun. Yeah, just um, charcoal mask on if the you teeth. want. Yeah,
1: <laughs> really don't touch the teeth with them, please. Again, that's an abrasive substance that I would recommend avoiding. And then with the dryness of the mouth. So we really Really want the saliva, as I was mentioning, has great protective factors. So if you're looking at stimulating your own saliva, which would be good, uh, and we can talk a little bit more about what I would do in the diagnostic testing phase to to see how your saliva glands are working and how beneficial it would be to try to stimulate them in order to produce as much as your own saliva as possible. Um, that only that not only has great effects for the mouth, but also to try to keep your parotids from uh, draining so that you're not getting infections and, and clogging up um, the product ducts. But from a mouth standpoint, if we can simulate saliva, get some of the protective factors, that would be great. Um, there are things out there that are lozenges that you would suck on. Many of them are can be acidic. So that acid, you know, if you can find ones that are not acidic, that would be better uh, just because that acid, even though it does stimulate saliva, can cause some damage to the teeth. Um, you'll see many products on the market now. I have seen a booming market for dry mouth products. Yes. Um, and have you, I would love to hear from, from your perspective, if there's any that you've noticed work better than others. Well, you've tried better.
0: Knock on wood. So I've been really fortunate the last, like, you know, not quite year of having like pretty good control of my symptoms without, so haven't had to, to jump into it, but have had a lot of patients and, um, and friends and colleagues, um, also with chagrins who've liked kind of xylitol containing mm-hmm. products. So I don't know if that's a good one that you would recommend, but have had pretty good success with that. Um, and actually had a, a patient who's a dentist say, at least reassure me that that was okay from an oral yeah.
1: health standpoint. It was yeah. There. From an oral You are absolutely correct. That's one that we think is protective because the bacteria can't metabolize it as well. Um, So just in terms of xylitol, I've got my puppy right here, which is a good segue for
0: xylitol is
1: toxic for dogs. So keep products that you have, uh, you know, this is of course true with most things that are not meant for dogs, but this can be deadly for dogs. So the xylitol products are great. Keep them away from your pets. If you have gum that has xylitol, Uh, He hears me now. Shout out to Reese, the pet therapy dog team that started on Zoom, so wants to be involved in all Zoom visits. (laughs) Um, But so, so for, you know, if, if patients, so uh, I know that you've mentioned some on your first introduction to your awesome podcast about primary and secondary Sjogren. So if a patient has uh, any joint issues, because if they have uh, any rheumatoid disease or anything like that. If a person is experiencing muscle soreness, anything like that, then I might stay away from gum that could create some exacerbations of those symptoms and stay towards the uh, other products that have the xylitol, that would be fine. And if a patient were to come in and not have a lot of saliva to stimulate, that's when we start thinking more about the protect, like the uh, symptom relief, more of just getting artificial saliva and that's just more for comfort.
0: And would that be something along the lines of like biotin type products? Yeah, like the, the gels or yeah. And that's a lot
1: of try. Yeah, that's a lot of trial and error in terms of which products people like. There's been very inconsistent feedback when I asked. And a lot of it has to do with the level of dryness. So uh sometimes when your mouth's not very dry, like if, if or just not if bothering you enough to start using the products like you mentioned, then starting, if you started wanting to start, then maybe the ones that are more like water would be fine. Or if you're saying, you know what, my mouth is just a little bit dry. I want something a little extra while I'm out and about. Then people like the spray, something that they can bring okay. with them. Yeah. Um, and of the spray, some feedback that I heard which was extremely valuable, which is why I love hearing more from not only from like my textbook perspective, but this is real life. And I, I love to hear uh, from patients actually experiencing the dryness is, uh, they were using, uh, edible oil, like coconut oil, grapeseed oil, and a little spray coating the mouth and then potentially spitting it out or just coating it enough that it helped. They said they helped with eating, speaking and things like that. So depending if you have pretty severe dryness of your mouth and it's really causing social issues or trouble eating, that would be something to try again. That's not scientific evidence, but you know, your patient, oh, I think it's really great. It-
0: it's interesting. And I, I use similar things for my patients who are experiencing the dryness in their sinuses. So mm. um, there is, for instance, a nasal spray with xylitol called Xlear that, you know, we'll try for a similar kind of thing. And then I recommend coconut oil at night, like yep. Absolutely. too. Yep. Um, so I guess kind of thinking, you know, of course the tissues are slightly different, but it's still mucosa kind of in that area that you could absolutely yeah similar benefits with them
1: yeah and there's some there'll be some studies and it's this controversial that that coconut oil can be beneficial to reduce bacterial or fungal overgrowth and of course i haven't done my own studies but i value when people can use natural products and there's i don't see harm Uh, when it comes to oil just be mindful you know oil and xylitol can cause uh, gi distress or problems with the gut and and if you're noticing loose stools or increased gas or anything like that, then you might uh, want to turn it down or if it's associated with those products. So,
0: yeah. And then the other thing I think about with coconut oil too, is it's a solid at room temperature. So if you are like rinsing your mouth out, you want to spit it into the trash, yes. not down your sink so that you avoid yeah, that, yeah. a plumbing <laughs> bill. Um, as well um and then the place I found to get it like at a very reasonable rate is Costco you can literally get like this giant vat of it um that will last you for quite a long time
1: <laughs> that's awesome no that's good feedback. Yeah. I really enjoyed that uh, and thank you for bringing it up
0: yeah and I just get like a little um, you know, you could use like a little glass jar, like leftover from jelly or jam or whatever, and kind of keep some at your bedside or up in the bathroom. Um, so that you're not taking up all of that, you know, bathroom real estate with the type of That yeah, I would know. laugh
1: so hard. That would be fun to visit somebody with that though. Like they're starting a trend, right? Yeah. You know,
0: I mean, and I, I mean, I will say a fair number of my patient, like my, um, Eczema patients do like it for skin too. And of course, then you probably would go through it a little bit faster. Yeah,
1: yeah, and there's, for dryness of the mouth too, there's also some prescriptions that we could, uh, either the primary care doctor, rheumatologist, or oral medicine provider or dentist um, can prescribe, depending on how frequently they see you, uh, they would wanna you know, be a, a main provider for you. Uh, and they stimulate, so pilocarpine and and um, can be offered, and this is dependent on pros versus cons of use. So this would be patient-based. You know, there are some contraindications to those products, and the positive things is they can stimulate the salivary glands if they are if your salver glands are functioning uh, pretty well. The downsides or the side effects that are usually limiting is excessive sweating, some GI distress, and increased urination. Um, so again, but those just to know about them in case that's something that people want to ask their physicians about um, and yes. to see if if it might be something that be beneficial.
0: And it looks like there are some things kind of coming down the pipeline too. I um, was looking earlier today. We're recording this on January twelfth, so just to kind of give some context, but. Um, there is like in, there are some new biologics that are coming out that are geared towards and being studied as treatments specifically for Sjogren's. Um, but one of the markers they're looking at in their effectiveness is um, the amount of saliva that's produced in these patients and tears as well. But um, for this particular one, inalumumab, which hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, they did see over the 24 weeks some increase in saliva, saliva production. So I think um, pretty exciting to see kind of this immune. Um, it's a monoclonal antibody that essentially dials down B cell, um, essentially the B cell attack on those tissues in two different ways. And so it's exciting to see some other targeted treatments that may help too, kind of in a whole different kind of way than what we currently have um, available. Yeah,
1: that's, that's awesome. Because a lot of the, you know, for from an oral medicine perspective, uh, I think my main role would be more symptom management. And of course, a rheumatologist or a primary care would be pro- providing the systemic, you know, really tackling. Because when we think we are thinking, we really got to tackle the autoimmune, component and, and like you said, dial down what's going wrong. Um, so then I always think, you know, it's, uh, I love working with the rheumatologist and, and, and trying to figure out how we can do that while also helping with that symptom relief.
0: Um,
1: so some of the medications that are providing now, uh, just to kind of put in another oral medicine role is yeah. if, you know, if, if the under, uh, underlying autoimmune conditions being treated with an immunosuppressant like methotrexate or things like that, that can actually, um, it's associated with some oral lesions. So as your provider, I might be working with, if it's a rheumatologist prescribing that and say, oh, there's some oral lesions. One, we have to figure out what they are. It could be from the immunosuppressant or another autoimmune uh, condition like lupus. Uh, They may actually be associated with oral lesions. So that's, it's so great to have that integration of a team and uh, it's just thinking about your, your mentioning of your delayed diagnosis and things like that, just the importance, and especially, I think Sjogren's is the, it's an awesome example of how important it is to make sure that you're having good communication between all of your healthcare providers. Because um, if, you know, if you come to one person and you say, I have dryness in my mouth, and then you go to the ENT, you say, I have dryness in my eyes. And then you go to the rheumatologist, you say, you know, I have soreness in my joints, but no one communicates, or maybe, you know, of course the, uh, rheumatologist probably know all, we'll know all of those, but I'm just, you know, making a point. You're in
0: that small, you know, that short visit appointment, things can easily kind of get lost between the cracks. The other thing I'm thinking about that probably comes into your purview and especially with your, your research area too, um, that we, um, want to be conscientious of any like lumps or bumps that may kind of develop in kind of the yeah, the, the glands um yeah. and um i'm trying to like but also prevention of oral cancer as well um, and so i guess are there any ways or things that you would think about to kind of recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah. So with, uh, with children's, I think, you know, higher risk for lymphoma. So when it comes to, uh, checking and doing oral examination and be checking the lymph, uh, lymph nodes and, uh, an extra oral exam. So that's a, another good reason to have another set of eyes and have close, uh, follow up with both an oral health provider, uh, because we don't take care of just the mouth, you know, it's head and neck. Wow. And then the salivary glands, if you're having any problems, abnormalities, uh, to, to do work about what exactly is going on. Um, as we mentioned, if you're not expressing the glands as much, you might get some backflow of the saliva and at risk for uh, having some infections there. So yeah, absolutely. Getting, uh, getting some eyes on, some physical examination in order to identify those early. When it comes to oral cancer, um, there's... Two main things that we think about: so oral cancer, a higher risk would be smoking um, and alcohol use combined. So if you smoke, high risk. If you smoke and drink combined, that increases your risk because the alcohol acts as a solvent for the tobacco. Uh, for oral pharyngeal cancer, if you if people are hearing about that HPV, um, mm-hmm. so human papilloma virus, uh, and the prevention, it's an STD. Um, so as you know, behavioral prevention, but also there's a vaccination out. Uh, and it's offered for, for younger kids and some people, they don't, you know, may not exactly know why am I, you know, going to consider this for my child. And the reason why is we want to try to get the individuals vaccinated before they're exposed to HPV, because it's pretty ubiquitous. Um, and there's many different strains, some associated uh, with more benign conditions like the warts versus uh, the cancer. And so that uh, HPV vaccine will help with that. and. and I'm strong advocate for that as a person that is working with all head and neck cancer patients. Yeah.
0: Patient. Yeah. That's yeah. where I was kind of trying to lead towards. And, you know, that's my pediatrician hat too on. And when I was going through kind of my, my, my PEDS part of my training at the time, it was only recommended or only approved recommended for um, female patients. And now it is recommended for for everyone um because um you know originally the thought was we're preventing cervical cancer but you know all this data has come out now in the last you know 10 or so years saying no this is really important to prevent head and neck cancer as well and that affects everyone um so and and, you know i think there's you know there there's always you know kind of that contingent of worry, you know, for some people with vaccines, but this one has been around for quite some time is very safe. Um, I think the biggest issue we've seen um, is um, kind of that that response people sometimes have when they get an injection and they. Uh, they need to be seated or sitting down um, because young folks who, um, who get kind of that startle response or that vasovagal response um, it's in part because their, their cardiovascular system or their veins and everything are very flexible. And so that, that blood flow sometimes does not, you know, kind of kick in as quickly. So it's be seated, um, especially if you have that, um, that issue, but otherwise is very well tolerated.
1: Absolutely. And the risk, I mean, for for what it prevents, it's incredible. And and even more cancers like penile and anal cancer are being associated. Uh, So I'm a strong advocate uh, for, I'm a strong advocate of prevention of all diseases, and especially when it comes in the form of something that's uh, pretty accessible for uh, the main population. Another, you know, focusing in why it's with the kids, not only the exposure, but then giving their immune systems, an adequate chance to really develop, uh, and increase their chances of preventing this disease.
0: Yeah. I, I had a, um, a classmate. So someone, you know, in, in their thirties, um, that, um, friends with that has just gone through treatment for, you know, cancer and it, it, if we can prevent any, you know, any of those cases that we see, you know, people going through kind of the suffering, You know that you you go through with radiation, surgery, chemo, all of those things. Like an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: And back to the and we're we're relating that to the dryness of the mouth. So I joined radiation oncology because I've noticed when patients were coming to me with their oral dryness related to radiation um, and it related to why I'm uh, you know, advocate of understanding how much saliva a patient's making is if the salivary glands are not functioning well, that limits treatment options. Um, and so patients with radiation are noticing the side effects are causing a lot more distress uh, and it can have drastic impacts on quality of life. and you know, if the quality of life is, is suffering, uh, you know, and you can prevent it through early vaccination. To me, I, I you know, huge, but yeah. huge advocate. <laughs> and if you have any doubts or any questions, yeah, message us. Read. Yeah. Please <laughs> message us. And yeah.